Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for tuning in. You are listening to Fiscum All, your weekly consistency check on America's political and legal file systems. I'm your host, T. Greg Doucette. This week, we are recording from my apartment, Le Chateau T-Dot, on the edge of Durham, North Carolina. Uh, I'm not sure if this is going to be a long-term thing or not. Uh, but essentially, Samson, you know, as we've mentioned before, he has been diagnosed with cancer. He has a very bad cough. Uh, he's not getting any better. Uh, so I have been spending more time at the apartment to keep an eye on him. So we're actually recording from my dining room table. Uh, hopefully you won't be able to tell the difference. Mike has told me that we can just upload the audio file on Dropbox and he can tweak it and make it sound normal. So God willing, when you hear this on Monday, everything will sound fine. Um, I do have a lot to talk about this week, a couple podcast notes. So this week we are not going to have a Law 140. So we might recall from a couple weeks back when we had What the Fisk Volume 3, the Monday after that we scrapped Law 140 because we had so many stories to cover. We're in a similar situation this week. I've got seven pages of stuff. Uh, and I just haven't had the time to prep a Law 140 lesson that I can squeeze in in a tiny amount of time. We're also mostly going to skip through the political stuff. I'm going to cover one particular story that I've got a kick out of, but beyond that, we're going to skip politics as well. Uh, a couple podcast notes. First, I want to say thank you to everyone who left us a review or a rating. We had been trying to get to at least 100 back in September. I'm pleased to announce we have at least 112. So we've got 112 in the United States. Uh, I don't know how many we've got in other countries. I can see written reviews in the United Kingdom, Germany, Japan, and New Zealand. Uh, not sure if there are others that I just can't get to, uh, but thank you all for doing that. I think it's really, uh, I appreciate it a lot, you know, and it helps us get new listeners when they log in to the iTunes store or wherever else and they see your thoughts on the podcast. Also, we're at just a hair's breadth under 1,500 subscribers. So we're continuing kind of our upward trajectory. I appreciate the building and uh, y'all being willing to promote the podcast to your friends and family. So please keep doing that because I think it's awesome. Uh, please make sure to join the conversation online. If you haven't already, you can follow the Twitter account at Fiskemall. That is at F-S-C-K-E-M-A-L-L. -L. Use the hashtag Fisk. That is hashtag F-S-C-K. You can leave us a comment on the Fiskemall website. That's Fiskemall.com. If you want to join our Patreon community, it is at Patreon.com slash Fisk. That's Patreon.com slash F-S-C-K. All right, so let's get into the podcast. Politics. Like I said, we're not going to talk too much about it. Uh, it's been an interesting week, and by interesting, I mean it's it's an ongoing disaster with the Trump administration. Nothing really changes with our beloved Papaya Potus. Uh, it just always gets worse, and it can always get worse. But one particular back and forth that uh, happened this weekend, I got a kick out of. So uh, about a week ago, our Secretary of State, former Exxon CEO Rex Tillerson, was in China trying to negotiate with the Chinese about North Korea and their nuclear ambitions. And while he was in China, talking with the diplomatic folks over there, Melba Mao himself, the Moscow Muppet Donald Trump, basically tweeted out that he was wasting his time and he should just stop and it doesn't matter. Now, it, that's one of the most insane things to do when you're negotiating with other countries. You don't basically undercut them while they're negotiating. You especially don't do it when they're negotiating on the foreign soil. It wasn't like they were visiting the U.S. and this happened. Rex was across the water over in China negotiating with them there when all this happens with the president. So that triggered comments by Senator Bob Corker, who is a senator representing Tennessee. He's decided that he is not going to run for re-election, which, as you can imagine, frees him up to speak his mind a little bit. And here's a clip 
of what he had to say when he was asked about what he thought regarding the president's comments as Secretary of State Tillerson was abroad negotiating with China. I, I think uh, Secretary Tillerson, Secretary Mattis, and uh, Chief of Staff Kelly uh, are those people that help separate our country from chaos. The Secretary of State, the Secretary of Defense, and the Chief of Staff are where separating our country from chaos. To hear that from a sitting senator of the majority party, of the president's own party, is crazy. It is absolutely crazy. Well, of course, the president, being the paragon of restraint that he is, uh, took to Twitter saying, quote, Senator Bob Corker begged me to endorse him for re-election in Tennessee. I said no, and he dropped out, said he could not win without my endorsement. He also wanted to be Secretary of State. I said no thanks. He is also largely responsible for the horrendous Iran deal. Hence, I would fully expect Corker to be a negative voice and stand in the way of our great agenda. Didn't have the guts to run, exclamation point. Now, this is a this is such a bizarre series of tweets for a number of reasons, uh, not least of which that his endorsement doesn't mean a whole hell of a lot, because if it did, Luther Strange would have won in Louisiana instead of Roy Moore, who's gone his way to the United States Senate. But then on top of it, Corker still got almost two years left on his term. Why would you alienate someone who's still going to be around and can help fuck you over as he sees fit? But then speaking of that, you notice the president attacks Republicans more than the Democrats do, really. I mean, this guy is, he's a mess. Well, Senator Corker, to his credit, uh, did offer a response on Twitter saying, quote, it's a shame the White House has become an adult daycare center. Someone obviously missed their shift this morning. So kudos to Senator Corker. Um, it's a, God, this, is, this country is so fucked right now. You know, it's so amazing to me. One of the things that, I don't hate to go off topic, this is not in my outline, but one of the things that we were taught in our civics classes during my generation is this notion of efficacy, the belief that you as a voter, your voice is heard, your ability to, to affect policy and contact your representatives and have things happen, you know, all that stuff. And it's always one of those things where you're supposed to have high efficacy because we live in a representative democracy and we're supposed to, you know, be able to influence our politicians and so on and so forth. And I always, I bought that. I bought that hook, line, and sinker. I mean, I was one of those kids in high school that I would go meet with my, uh, my delegate to the Virginia State Assembly and you know, talked with my city council people, went to candidate forums and everything else. And now I'm not in a party because I left the GOP when Trump got elected. And I'm watching this total fucking disarray going on at the federal level that has gone on since before he was sworn in, but has been nonstop now for nine months. And it just doesn't get better. And I'm, oh, God, drives me insane. Anyhow, uh, Trump had a lot of other stuff this week, a lot of really like what the fuck type comments, uh, said that Puerto Rico, the disaster down there where the, basically the, almost of the island still doesn't have power, likely is not going to have power for several months. They're trying to figure out how to run the hospitals and everything else off of generators and whatnot, uh, said that wasn't a real catastrophe. You have to look at a real catastrophe like Katrina. Uh, made a comment to them about how they had thrown the budget out of whack, even though this guy's spending 
tens of millions of dollars on Secret Service protection for his entire extended family and his constant trips to his golf club. Uh, the Las Vegas shooter, he called him smart in an interview with Mike Huckabee. Uh, and in that same interview, said that he invented the word fake. I mean, it's just, the guy's insane. He's got to be senile because he just... Uh, Ridiculous. Anyhow, so let's talk about some of the justice news because that's why you're all listening here anyway. Politics is a mess. Uh, out of the Ninth Circuit in our court news, the case of Rodriguez versus McDonald, uh, 14-year-old Jesse Rodriguez was arrested in 2005 as part of a murder investigation. There was a shootout involving people in two different sets of vehicles, one of which was a van. Police pulled over the van, found two grown men inside. They said that this 14-year-old kid was the one that was responsible. Uh, the young man has an IQ of 77, which is, uh, you know, the average is 100. So 77 indicates some degree of mental retardation. Um, they asked for an attorney anyway. Police kept badgering him with questions even after he asked for an attorney. Uh, he ended up eventually confessing, went to trial. There was no physical evidence at all whatsoever that he engaged in that particular homicide. All they offered was the videotaped confession uh, that was made after he asked twice for an attorney. And it's funny, if you read through the uh, Court of Appeals stuff, so this all happened back in 2005. He appealed to the Court of Appeals and then the Supreme Court in California. The state courts told him to kick rocks. He then filed federally a writ of habeas corpus trying to challenge it that way. District court told him to kick rocks. The uh, panel of the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals told him to kick rocks. Now the full Ninth Circuit has taken a look at it. And if you go through this, as you're reading through the facts that the lower courts have recited, the two older guys that were pulled over in the van had all the guns and everything else. It seems fairly obvious they did it, but instead the police decided to target this 14-year-old kid who's uh, easily prone to suggestion because of his low lower IQ. Anyhow, the Ninth Circuit has ruled that that violated Miranda versus Arizona, that when he asked for an attorney twice, questioning had to stop. Uh, the police had to stop badgering him with questions and trying to get him to talk anyway. So his conviction has been vacated, and they've now ordered a new trial for this murder that happened 12 years ago, as he's been sitting in jail this entire time. Uh, in general research news, we've got some interesting stuff. Um, at Xenocrypt, uh, I'm not, I don't know who that is, but he put together, or she, I don't even know their gender, um, put together an analysis of the war on drugs. So there's this guy named John Pfaff who recently published a book arguing that the war on drugs is not the reason why we have mass incarceration, that it's actually an increase in violent crime. And a lot of folks who've read it don't it doesn't make any sense because you can actually, if you're someone who's been active in the justice arena, you can see firsthand the the stuff that goes through the courthouse on a regular basis. And it's not violent crime. Even the FBI's own crime statistics show that there is not an increase in violent crime. Our crime rates are the lowest they've been in years. So folks have been trying to figure out how that all works out. Is, is FAF full of shit? Or is his data accurate and there's some other explanation? Well, this uh, Xenocrypt person put together a series on Medium, which is like a blogging platform similar to WordPress. And using a series of two-dimensional graphs uh, actually maps out how the data flows together. So essentially, if you have on one axis the number of people that are brought into the system at any given point in time, and then you have on another axis the length of the sentence they're given. You can actually map out that area 
of your growth in your prison population. And what his graphs show is that for violent crimes, the total prison sentence has increased dramatically. Uh, but in terms of quantity of people going through the system, even though it's for shorter duration, uh, roughly almost half of them are now for stuff that they wouldn't have been charged for in the past. So minor offenses, drug offenses, that sort of thing. I'm going to give you the link in the show notes, but you should definitely check it out. It is a fantastic uh, entry, definitely worth reading. Uh, in the research journal Nature, uh, a study has been released showing that aggressive, broken window style policing actually increases the occurrence of major crimes. Essentially, the more force the police apply to a given populace, the more frequent and more severe the crimes committed are. Seems counterintuitive, but that's what the data shows. So I'll give you that link as well. There's also a study by David Rudman from the Open Philanthropy Project where he basically takes you know, a bunch of the studies that we've mentioned in prior podcasts and several others and tries to replicate their same data. And among the things that he found, uh, well, let me just give you some quotes. I'm going to give you some quotes from his entry. Here's one that says, quote, I estimate that at typical policy margins in the United States today, decarceration, that is letting people out of prison, has zero net impact on crime. That estimate is uncertain, but at least as much evidence suggests that decarceration reduces crime as increases it. The crux of the matter is that tougher sentences hardly deter crime, and that while imprisoning people temporarily stops them from committing crime outside prison walls, it also tends to increase their criminality after release. As a result, tough-on-crime initiatives can reduce crime in the short run, but cause offsetting harm in the long run. And the second quote I thought, this one is really interesting, says, quote, empirical social science research, or at least non-experimental social science research, should not be taken at face value. Among three dozen studies I reviewed, I obtained or reconstructed the data and code for eight. Replication and reanalysis revealed significant methodological concerns in seven and led to major reinterpretations of four. These studies endured much tougher scrutiny from me than they did from peer reviewers in order to make it into academic journals. Yet given the stakes in lives and dollars, the added scrutiny was worth it. So from the point of view of decision makers who rely on academic research, today's peer review processes fall well short of the optimal. So that's something to keep in mind when you have these studies that say, for example, we talked about the 1033 program where the federal government gives local departments their stuff and the studies showing that that helps reduce crime. Keep in mind that based on this, uh, some of their stuff might actually be bullshit. Uh, out of the Atlantic, there's a new story on peer mentorship and police departments and how that can influence police culture. We'll give you that link. Uh, Sean King, a lot of you already know him. He's a writer with... Uh, Oh, gosh, I'm blanking on this. It's the New York Daily News, I want to say. I'm probably wrong. Anyhow, uh, he is launching a weekly injustice roundup. So it's kind of the same type of stuff uh, that we cover here on the podcast, except he does a better job of it, frankly, at, at picking some of the things. We kind of do a, a little bit of everything. We cover all the stories, and Sean actually kind of goes into better detail on several of them. And because it's published on Medium, he's got the hyperlinks and everything else. So that I'm looking forward to that. The, uh, God, the National DA's Association. So, of course, last Sunday, uh, you had the situation in Las Vegas where this guy basically had an arsenal in his hotel room and fired on a country music festival, killed dozens of people, injured hundreds more. Well, the National DA's Association took to Twitter 
to tweet, and you would think that they would tweet about, you know, gun control or something relating to the shooting. No, what they actually tweeted out is about weed. They said in a tweet saying, quote, the number of fatal crashes involving drivers with marijuana in their system spikes since legalization. And they linked to a story out of Washington. And, you know, me being me, I like to read the links and make sure that I understand what it is they're talking about. And it's actually in the third paragraph from the linked story uh, saying, quote, when issuing impaired driving citations, most police agencies don't differentiate between alcohol, pot, or other drugs. They're simply categorized as DUIs. As a result, data regarding marijuana-impaired drivers isn't complete. No statewide data is kept on serious injury accidents involving marijuana because of reporting inconsistencies by local police agencies, according to the state's Traffic Safety Commission. So right there in the story, it says that they don't have complete data. But even on top of it, I want you to think about something for a minute. If... We passed a law tomorrow that said being totally buck stark ass naked in public was totally fine. What you would find a year or two later is that there would be an increase in fatal car accidents with naked drivers. That doesn't mean being naked contributed to the accident. It just means you had this thing before that was strictly prohibited, and now it's legal. So you see an increase in that particular type of behavior. It's correlation. It's not causation. So that is what your National District Attorneys Association is tweeting about, trying to stoke fear of weed uh, as people are getting gunned down in Las Vegas. There's also two uh, things this week. First is the American Conservative magazine. Did not expect to see this in that particular magazine. Uh, they have an article out about how police brutality is systemic. It's widespread. And they actually give a uh, – it's a fairly decent article, but they list out seven reasons why that's the case. Uh, noting, for example, that p departments don't provide adequate training when it comes to nonviolent solutions to arresting people. Uh, consequences for misconduct are minimal. Settlements are shifted to taxpayers and so on and so forth. So I'm going to give you this link. But it's, it's interesting to me that you're starting to see some of the more intellectual aspects of conservatism being more vocal on how totally fucked our criminal justice system is. Uh, also, the Marshall Project, not a conservative outlet, but they do have a profile on Republican state representative from Ohio, Christy Perry, and how she's pushed through uh, bills to expand indigent defense for basically lawyers for poor people when it comes to being charged with crimes. And the interesting aspect of it is that it's wrapped around this notion that if you're convicted of a felony, you don't get to own a firearm. So if the government takes advantage of the system to browbeat you into a guilty plea or to convict you at trial because you can't get a lawyer, you lose your guns. And that was the hook that she used to convince uh, the state legislature in Idaho to expand indigent defense. It's a very interesting read. We're going to give you both of those, the one from the Marshall Project and from the American Conservative. Uh, out of BuzzFeed, Uncle Sam, watch your social media information. The Department of Homeland Security published a new rule in the Federal Register last, uh, last week saying that it wants to include, quote, social media handles, aliases, associated identifiable information, and search results as part of people's immigration file. The new requirement takes effect October 18th. So basically, if you are visiting or if you are a lawful permanent resident or if you become a citizen, uh, Uncle Sam is still going to track all of your social media information. That's going to be a miss. Uh, in state-by-state state news, out of Alaska, 
in Seward, Alaska. Uh, inmates at the Spring Creek Correctional Center, quote, were stripped naked in front of female prison staff members, walked naked on a dog leash, and left without clothing or cover in cold, filthy cells for hours at a time. Uh, the inmate who filed the complaint said he was then placed naked in a cell that was filled with debris and feces and had blood on the walls and was left there for hours. The report was completed. This is a report into the misconduct, by the way. The report was completed and released by the office of the Alaska Ombudsman, Kate Burkhart. The Ombudsman's office found that the complaint's allegations were justified, meaning that the investigation established that they had, in fact, occurred, and that the prison staff had violated federal and state laws in its treatment of the inmates. Quote, the allegations are so shocking that they are almost unbelievable, Ms. Burkhart said in an interview Wednesday. Notice the insertion of the word almost there. These people give away the game when they're talking. They don't do it on purpose. But to say that it's almost unbelievable means that you know this kind of shit happens on a regular basis. Uh, out of Arizona, in Buckeye, a 14-year-old autistic kid was injured by police after he was mistaken for a drug user and detained by Buckeye Police Department Officer David Grossman. Uh, the young man's caregiver was temporarily walking across the street, taking his sister to a music lesson. Uh, Grossman happened to be basically monitoring the kid, and when the caregiver went across the street, he approached and ended up, the two of them fell into a bush, and the young man suffered numerous scrapes all over his body. And this is, first rule of Fisk, by the way, police will continue to do dumb shit, even when they're being recorded. So it turns out Grossman had a body cam, and the spokesperson for the Buckeye Police Department said, quote, the internal investigation found there was no use of force. So they just magically fell into a bush. Well, it turns out there's a body cam. So yes, there actually was a use of force. Uh, but then when asked why Grossman, who is a self-described drug recognition expert, couldn't tell the difference between a drug user and the autistic boy's behavior, the spokesperson said she couldn't speak for Grossman because she wasn't in his head and it happened so fast. None of that matters. The fact that it happened quickly doesn't change the fact you should understand the difference between a grown man using drugs and a 14-year-old autistic kid. Jesus Christ. Uh, that's in Arizona. Out of Arkansas in Cross County, Arkansas Judge Joseph Beckman pled guilty to giving lighter sentences in return for nude photographs and sexual favors. Uh, he had faced a 21-count indictment, alleging that he abused the judicial power of his office for years. Uh, he pled guilty to two counts under a plea bargain that calls for him to face about two and a half to three years in prison for wire fraud and witness tampering. In California, out of Rockland, police officer Brad Alford has been arrested. Uh, he ended up pulling over a DUI suspect with several other officers and then randomly just decided to beat the shit out of the guy with his baton for sport. So the other officers actually reported him to his commanding officer, and astonishingly, he's been charged. So he's being charged for uh, excessive force. In Colorado, so there are two interesting stories out of Colorado this week. Uh, the first is that the U.S. Air Force Academy, there was a, a hoax basically claiming there was an active shooter on campus. The hoax prompted a response by the SWAT team, and as the SWAT team is showing up, there are several Twitter accounts. Uh, a lot of the Trump folks, the t Russian, what we suspect to be Russian bots, but they have deplorable in their titles or MAGA or whatever else. Uh, several of the Trump accounts started claiming that the shooter was wearing police clothing. 
and they circulated a fake video and they're retweeting everyone else, uh, basically trying to goad people into taking action against the police, claiming that it is, in fact, the police who are the active shooters. So there's a thread on Twitter that we'll give you the link to that kind of breaks all this down, but it's super creepy slash interesting slash disturbing as hell that you have these people essentially trying to foment civil unrest using social media. Because, I mean, God forbid, can you imagine if one of the Air Force cadets had fired on one of the police officers as a result of that social media stuff? It would have been a mess. Um, also, you know, we, we talk a lot about bad stuff. So there is kind of a feel-good story out of Colorado this week. Uh, a former neo-Nazi, Michael Kent, uh, did some time in prison, had swastika tattoos all over his body and everything else. Uh, well, after he was released, he was paired with a, an African-American parole officer and ended up, they more or less became friends. And because of that friendship, uh, he got his swastika tattoo removed. Uh, so we're going to give you the link from ABC News. It's kind of the, oh, you know, warm and fuzzy stuff from this particular week. So don't let anyone ever tell you that I don't share the good news. I do. It just doesn't happen all that often. Uh, out of Florida, in Miami Beach, Ernesto Orsetti has been charged with felony impersonating a law enforcement officer for creating a parody Twitter account of the local police department. Miami Beach Police Chief Daniel J. Oates said in a statement, quote, The behavior here was outrageous. It threatened to damage the reputation of our superb public information officer, as well as the Miami Beach Police Department brand. We simply can't tolerate such an impersonation, and I'm glad Mr. Orsetti will now be held accountable. I hate to break it down for the police chief, but that accountability is going to consist of the charges being dismissed and the department being sued because you can't arrest people for running a fucking parody account, you imbecile. Uh, in Georgia, got three cases out of Georgia this week. In Flowery Branch, uh, David Justice Justin, David Justin Freeman, uh, stood up during a church service and basically uh, shot, flicked the bird to his pastor. Uh, the pastor had asked that teachers stand up and be recognized. Apparently, Freeman homeschools his kids, so he stood up and gave his pastor the bird. Well, it, amazingly, and I. It's, it's Georgia, so I guess I can't laugh too much. Uh, he was arrested. He was arrested and charged with disorderly conduct and convicted solely because he gave the middle finger to his pastor. Well, the state Supreme Court in Georgia has overturned that conviction, saying, quote, There was no showing here that Freeman's act of silently raising his middle finger from the back of the church during the church service constituted fighting words or a true threat that would amount to a tumultuous act. Of course not, because saying fuck you symbolically does not actually indicate that we want to throw down. You know what I mean? Uh, so that's in Flowery Branch. In Spalding County, uh, former jailer Guy Lynn Scott Jr. was suicidal on one particular day. Uh, someone called 911 to do a welfare check. Deputy Brian Head arrived and said challenge accepted and blew Scott away. So third rule of Fisk, there are no new stories, only new names and new jurisdictions. In Worth County, now this is interesting. So Sheriff Jeff Hobby of Worth County, uh, back in April, did a random search of all 900 students at Worth County High School. Just randomly said, hey, let's do it. Searched everybody. Complete violation of the Constitution. Our Law 140 next week, I'm going to try and make on the rights that students have when they're being searched by school personnel. Uh, but anyhow, so Hobby did this anyway. Found absolutely nothing. They searched 900 students and found nothing at all. And as part of this, turns out this was a complete fucking cover 
for deputies to basically get their rocks off groping kids. Uh, from the story, quote, deputies touched girls' vaginas and breasts and groped boys in their groin area during the search at the Worth County High School April 14th. Turned up absolutely nothing. And to George's credit, Hobby has now been indicted. He's been indicted for sexual battery, false imprisonment, and violation of oath of office, along with two of his deputies. Uh, the deputies conducted the searches, and Hobby was just kind of there watching. Apparently, he's a voyeur. Uh, so wake me if they get a conviction. But that's at least progress, that something like this that is so egregious, uh, you can have criminal charges against the people responsible for it. Separately, there's been a lawsuit filed, and a lot of these kids are going to get paid because this was a flagrant violation of their rights. Uh, that's out of Georgia. Over in Illinois, in Chicago, Officer John Catanzara has been reprimanded for protesting while in uniform. Uh, there's a photo on the officer's Facebook page, quote, showing him in uniform holding an American flag as he stands in front of a marked Chicago police SUV. A poster on display carries several messages. I stand for the anthem. I love the American flag. I support my president and the Second Amendment. Now, here's the interesting part. This is in the Chicago Tribune. The Tribune declines to identify him. I'm not sure why. They actually blur out his name in the screenshot that they post. Well, you can kind of read through it because the blur is not that detailed. It's a, it's a Gaussian blur with like a one pixel margin. So you can actually read what it says. And you find the guy's name, John Catanzara, and he's got some other hits on Facebook, including a post that says, in referencing to a news story about a suspected uh, criminal, says, quote, WTF, it's seriously time to kill these motherfuckers. In a separate post referencing black people, says, quote, savages, they all deserve a bullet. And then in another post says, quote, participation trophies now in liquid form alongside an officer pepper spraying a protester. So this guy is a taxpayer financed armed agent of the government uh, in Chicago, Illinois. Over in Indiana, in Crawfordsville, uh, Jim Duff is an actor who was filming a scene for a movie where he was robbing a bank. He's wearing a ski mask, backing out of a building, when he just happened to be approached by police sergeant Matt Schroeder, who shot at him, because rather than figuring out that this was part of a movie, uh, just happened to see a guy backing out of a building in a ski mask and shot him, because that's apparently what they do in Crawfordsville, Indiana. Uh, over in Louisiana, down in New Orleans, uh, John Thompson has passed away. So he was on death row for a while and almost got executed in 1999 when there was a last-minute stay of execution. Come to find out the guy didn't do it. So he was exonerated, released in 2003, became a big-time activist for people who had been falsely accused. Uh, he passed away of a heart attack. He was only, I think, 55 years old. So rest in peace. Our thoughts go out to his wife and kids. Uh, also, I can't remember if we mentioned this on the podcast or just on Twitter. So there's a lawsuit that was filed by an unnamed police officer against DeRay McKesson, uh, claiming that the protest that happened after Alton Sterling's summary execution last year, uh, he got injured as part of those. And he blamed DeRay for it. Well, the lawsuit has been laughed out of court. And I mean, the judge does not even, he's not even nice. He's nice about it, I guess, in a, in a, judge-like manner. You know, if we're gauging niceness based on lay people, the judge was very nice. But for those of us who do litigation on a regular basis, the opinion is a very resounding bench slap against both the officer and the attorneys uh, with a lot of very quotable statements. Uh, one of my favorites, it says, quote, for reasons that should be obvious, a hashtag 
which is an expression that categorizes or classifies a person's thought, is not a juridical person and therefore lacks the capacity to be sued. And then there's a footnote, and in the footnote it says, The court notes that if plaintiff were not bearing his own costs, which otherwise would be borne by the taxpayers, uh, 28 United States Code section 1915 would permit the court to dismiss this claim as frivolous, a lawsuit that alleges that a hashtag, which is in essence an idea, is liable in tort for damages can be properly categorized as fantastic or delusional. Yes, there was actually a named party. Uh, It was hashtag Black Lives Matter. Uh, the officer is an idiot. The lawyer is definitely an idiot. And that case has now been LOL'd out of court. Uh, over in Maryland, in Baltimore, a Baltimore Police Department crime scene technician, Tamika Jones, has pled guilty to being a drug dealer. Uh, she uh, ended up being part of a police raid on her home where they found drugs, guns, and over $100,000 in cash. So she has pled guilty to possession with intent to distribute. Keep in mind, Baltimore is where they've been fabricating evidence of drug busts, and now apparently they have drug dealers on the staff. Again, going back, I'm thinking of making it the fourth rule of Fisk. I'm not sure yet because it only applies to Maryland. But as we've said several times, The Wire was a documentary not a drama. It's all true. Uh, over in Massachusetts, the Washington Post has an expose on this story about prosecutorial misconduct up there that's been going on for years now. Uh, so this is from the opening paragraphs. It says, quote, twice in recent years, chemists used by the state of Massachusetts to test drugs in criminal cases committed massive misconduct in their testing, affecting tens of thousands of cases. And twice, prosecutors in Massachusetts failed to act promptly to notify most defendants of the problem. Instead, the prosecutors have taken years to seek justice for the defendants affected by the bad drug testing in both episodes, causing some people to wrongly spend years in prison. This has been an ongoing thing that members of the defense bar and other lawyers have been talking about off and on for years. Like Massachusetts is in the middle of a massive, massive scandal. Uh, So this Washington Post story, even though it just came out uh, this past week, it basically chronicles everything that's been going on over the past however many years. So we'll give you that link. You should definitely read it. Uh, Over in Michigan, the state police director, Christy Etui, or Etu, uh, basically the head of the Michigan State Police, uh, called NFL protesters, quote, a bunch of rich, entitled, arrogant, ungrateful, anti-American degenerates. She has since apologized for that particular comment, but just keep in mind, nearly all these folks are black, and you now have your white director of the Michigan State Police calling them ungrateful degenerates. Uh, It's kind of weird to me that you have to be grateful for working to get paid. I mean, it's not like these guys just randomly get money. They put in time and work and effort and get knocked around, you know, playing football. It's not like being a police chief where you're an administrator and you get to sit around and give statements to the press and kill black people willy-nilly and get away with it. So that is out of Michigan. Also out of Michigan, this is a really, this is an ick story. Like, ugh. Um, I'm not going to go into too much of the details because it's really like, it's a, it's a very Michigan story, uh, what you would expect from the clusterfuck up there. But basically, so nine years ago, this guy named Christopher Mirasolo raped a 12-year-old, got her pregnant, ended up being prosecuted for the rape, pled out to like attempted sexual misconduct or something to that effect, uh, raped another woman two years later, was 
convicted of that. Well, he's now apparently, I, I can't tell if this is something that the state has initiated or if he has filed it, but there's a request in front of a judge for him to get joint custody of the now eight-year-old kid from that first rape. And a judge has given it to him. He's got now joint legal custody with the victim that he raped when she was 12. It's just really, ugh. Um, I'm going to give you the link so you can read the full details if you want, but that's, that's seriously fucked up. Like that's a Michigan level that to be honest with you, that's some Louisiana level fucked upness, but it's in Michigan cause Michigan's pretty fucked up too. Uh, so that's all in Michigan over in Minnesota. The star tribune has got a multi-part expose going on about police and how they're able to keep their badge. Even when they do things wrong, uh, they've got 500 officers have been convicted, convicted of various crimes over a 20 year time span. So they took all the cases from 1995 to 2015. They found these 500. Now bear in mind, these are convictions. So the actual number of people committing crimes is always higher because most of the time they don't get charged. And the ones that do get charged, typically they don't get convicted. They plead out or it's dismissed or whatever else. Uh, so out of those 500 actual bona fide convictions, uh, only four were stripped of their badges. The rest were still allowed to continue being law enforcement. They also found that a significant portion of those 500 were convicted for domestic violence offenses. So we've got links to the first two parts of the expose. Uh, we'll have, make sure you read through both of them. It's pretty sobering stuff, but essentially you have a bunch of criminal cops that are allowed to continue being criminals while enforcing the law against the rest of us. One law for me, another for thee. Uh, that's in Minnesota. Out of Missouri, in St. Louis, four more journalists have been arrested for reporting on protests. Uh, it just seems to be like a, a police pattern now. If you happen to be a reporter uh, trying to convey what's going on, including the police response, they'll now just arrest you as a way of trying to stop you from reporting on what's going on. Uh, also, in Polk County, Missouri, 77-year-old Charles Frederick White has been sentenced to 10 years for having marijuana. Uh, police went to, so this is, this is one of those fucked up stories where if you're doing something illegal, there's no way of ensuring that you're not going to get caught by accident. Uh, a woman in Baltimore, Maryland had her identity stolen, was claiming that new credit card applications were going to an address in Polk County. Police couldn't find it because it's a rural area and the streets aren't terribly labeled correctly. So they used GPS and they went to the next door neighbor which happened to be Mr. White. They wanted to see if he knew the person that um, this woman was referring to. Well, when they went there, there's a fence to the property. There's security cameras there. Clearly says no trespassing. Uh, police went on the property anyway and smelled weed. So went and got a search warrant and ended up searching the premises and found close to 1,700 unharvested marijuana plants. So bear in mind, this guy, White, has not done anything to bother anybody. No one's accused him of being a, a gangbanger or anything like that. He's just an old guy growing some pot, you know, smoking it himself, especially given his age. Well, ended up, he was charged five years ago, sentenced uh, just this past week, and the judge is required to give him a mandatory minimum sentence of 10 years, which he will now spend in federal prison because our war on drugs is fucking insane. Over in New York, we got a couple stories out of New York City. Uh, NYPD police detectives Edward Martins and Richard Hall were conducting an undercover buy-and-bust operation in Brighton Beach back in September uh, with their supervisor, Sergeant John Espy, when the two detectives, for some inexplicable reason, drove off in an unmarked Dodge minivan. So this is a quote from the news story. 
continues, quote, the detectives handcuffed a teen they found. So they found a girl with two male passengers in a car. Uh, they handcuffed the girl after finding marijuana and the anxiety drug clonopin in a bag next to her and drove her away, according to one of the friends who said he was suspicious about the cops from the start. Uh, I had Prozac on me, the friend said, who declined to be named. They said that it's supposed to be in the bottle, but they just gave it back to me. They only handcuffed the girl, telling her friends that they were taking her to the 60th Precinct on West 8th Street in Coney Island for processing. Instead, uh, Martins and Hall took her to a secluded spot about two blocks from the 60th Precinct Station House, where she was forced to perform a sex act on both cops. Uh, one of the detectives also raped her when she ended up raising these uh, concerns. So basically, she got dropped off after she had been raped. The friends found her. She told the friends that she had been raped. They ended up taking her to her mom, who she told she had been raped, took her to the hospital to have a kit done, found the results of it. The officers were approached by uh, internal affairs. The officers claim it was all consensual. So they've found this woman who had drugs on her. They've placed her in handcuffs. They've drove her off. They've raped her. And now they claim that it's all by consent. So that is in New York City. Uh, also out of New York City, this is fucking hilarious. Uh, so back in 2015... Officer James Frascatori uh, slammed tennis pro James Blake to the ground in a false arrest. So basically him and a supervisor were monitoring an ATM trying to catch a guy. Blake apparently looked like the suspect because all black people look alike to the police. If you remember that story from California where they confused a teenage girl with a grown ass man. Uh, anyhow, so Frascatori basically tackled the dude like a linebacker. And of course, it's caught on video because first rule of Fisk, police will continue to do dumb shit even when they're being recorded. Uh, so ended up when it was all over and done with realized that, Hey, this guy's a famous tennis star stood Blake up, apologized said Hey, hate that I tackled you for mistaking you for this other person. Well, fast forward and the, um, uh, prosecutor for the CCRB, I don't know what the hell that stands for, but essentially the folks that are trying to have this officer removed from his position, he had an internal trial. It's an administrative proceeding. Uh, the guy said, quote, Frascatori tackled Blake like an NFL linebacker and Hollywood tough guy Rambo. And Blake himself wrote a book, uh, accused Frascatori of racial profiling and co-authored a book, Ways of Grace, that discusses the incident. Frascatori said he bought the book and became, quote, very angry and upset while reading it. He plans to sue for emotional distress and slander. Well, one, slander is spoken, libel is written, so it would have to be for libel, but we'll let that part ride. But this is the funny part. So first, truth is an absolute defense. The fact is, Blake got slammed, and realistically, the officer probably was engaging in racial profiling because he just happened to tackle the first black guy he saw. Uh, but then beyond that, you can't successfully sue someone for a statement of opinion based on disclosed facts. If the facts are out in the open and I give you what I think happened based on that, that's protected under the First Amendment to the United States Constitution. That's been black letter law settled for decades. So the fact that it's on video what actually happened and Blake says in his book that that is racial profiling, that's his opinion based on disclosed facts. This case is going to get thrown out. It's an attempt at extortion. Basically, Frascatori is trying to get paid. Uh, Blake's lawyers may pay something just because it'll be cheaper paying him off than it will be paying the defense attorney's hourly rate. But if this decides to proceed, I guarantee you the case is going to get thrown out. 
So that's also out of New York City. In my state of North Carolina, we've got four stories out this week. One of them's not too bad. Uh, first, out of Charlotte. So Raman Bethay was a first offender charged with embezzlement from his job. The elected district attorney, Andrew Murray, who we've talked about before, he's the guy that always finds an excuse to excuse police when they kill people, uh, said that Bethay couldn't participate in the deferred prosecution program unless he came up with the $800 in restitution for the stuff that he embezzled. Uh, Bethay only had $100, and that was not good enough. So they decided that they wanted to have him saddled with a felony anyway, which is just going to make his life even worse and become a bigger problem for everyone. Well, a bunch of Charlotte residents found out about the story from the Charlotte Observer, and they've all offered to chip in to help cover the restitution because it's mind-blowingly fucking stupid that you take a first offender and you're willing to saddle them with a felony that will destroy the rest of their life from collateral consequences because they can't come up with money. I mean, it's it's not justice. You know what I mean? So that's out of Charlotte, out of Greensboro, third rule to Fisk making a reappearance uh, from the story, quote, five people are dead after a car being chased by a North Carolina sheriff's deputy slammed into a passing car, killing everyone in both vehicles. Uh, apparently, police saw a 2003 Acura that had been reported as stolen and decided that was really, 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 really important to stop that guy right then and there. Uh, so there was two males and one female in the Acura. And they ended up hitting a Kia Optima with two females inside. All five folks are now dead. So stealing a car, as bad as that is, is now a death penalty offense in North Carolina. And if you happen to be a random motorist, you could die too because police choose to engage in high-speed chases even though it's been documented extensively that people tend to die as a result of them and you can always arrest these people later. Uh, so that's out of Greensboro. Out of Troutman, we have a case of puppy side going on. Uh, two officers went to the home of a Ronald Eccles to serve him a warrant. Uh, he lives at the home. He was had that warrant issued for failure to appear on traffic charges. Keep that part in mind. Uh, the video body cam shows that the officer walks to the front door of the home, knocks several times, then waves to an eight-year-old boy who appears in the window. A Labrador named Lucy goes out the door to the officer. The officer would later shoot it dead. Now, there are a few key points from this particular story. The chief, of course, defends the officer because that's what all police chiefs do. Uh, chief says, quote, the dog just charged the officer right out the door and the officer started backpedaling. I'm surprised he didn't fall down. The dog was chasing him and just about bit him. But it turns out the dog was shot in the side. So it's kind of weird that you would shoot a dog on its edges if he's nearly biting you. You'd think you'd shoot in the head or at least at an angle going backwards uh, from your body. But no, he was shot in the sides. So the dog was turning around. Um, now, the interesting part as well is that that means the officer was also shooting in the direction of the eight-year-old boy. Thank God that, that kid didn't happen to get hit. And the family said that the officer should have used a taser and the police chief addressed that. The chief says, Quote, the officer carried a taser, but not pepper spray. The taser is secured in a zipped pouch on the officer's uniform, and the chief said it would have taken too long to gain access to use it. How fucked are our priorities that you can't get a non-lethal weapon because it takes too much time and effort when your gun is right there? Something is seriously fucking wrong with how we do policing in this country. Uh, in Sanford, our not-that-bad story of the uh, week, 21-year-old Tion Douglas was coming to court for a probation violation. He had failed a drug test, so he was showing up to deal with that. 
and he decided to hide his weed uh, in the bushes outside the courthouse. Someone happened to see him, and he's now been charged with possession of 15 grams of weed, hiding that in the bushes. That's in North Carolina. In Ohio, in Cleveland, uh, we have a new United States attorney, Justin Herdman, for the Northern District of Ohio. Within days of taking office, uh, Herdman has dismantled the Civil Rights Office and has created a new division to focus on violent crime. Keep in mind, I said this earlier in this podcast, violent crime is down. Crime is low. We're safer now than we've been in decades. And yet you have public money being taken away from ensuring the government doesn't violate your rights and being directed to prosecuting violent crimes that are not really happening. Uh, So that's in Ohio. In Pennsylvania, in Washington County, Fire Chief Paul Smith has resigned after posting on Facebook that Steelers coach Mike Tomlin, quote, just added himself to the list of no good. He drops an N-bomb. Yes, I said it. Well, that, of course, made the rounds and became a, you know, went viral, became an issue. And the chief says as a follow-up, quote, I regret what I said deeply, and I am not the racist the media portrays me as. Upon follow-up, asking for clarification, he specified that the media portrayed him as a mere white nationalist when he's actually a cross-burner. No, I'm kidding. I just made that part up. Um, but yeah, so that's, uh, that's Fire Chief Paul Smith in Washington County, Pennsylvania. Over in Tennessee, in Johnson City, Scott Edmiston was pulled over for speeding in his car. This is from the story. They found a 357 caliber Magnum, a loaded 45, a 223 assault rifle, a 308 assault rifle. And by the way, let me pause. I hate the fucking term assault rifle. All right. All rifles are assault rifles. Why the fuck would you have the gun if you weren't going to try and assault something? So I would appreciate a make and model of the rifle as opposed to just calling it an assault rifle because that's what they are. Anyhow, so they found at least four guns and more than 900 rounds of ammunition and survival equipment, and Edmison, quote, threatened his arresting officer and lunged toward investigators trying to question him. But guess what? They took him alive. You'll be surprised to learn that Scott Edmiston is white and he is currently awaiting his trial. Uh, Out of Memphis, Marcus Gibson was arrested for rape, but he had an inside uh, man. His aunt happened to work for the Memphis Police Department, Toby Allen, uh, and sex crimes detective Weta Knowlton gave Gibson all of the inside information from the police investigation. Uh, And, you know, as someone who has done felony criminal defense work, you get a lot of that stuff in discovery anyway. But getting it while the investigation is ongoing, before the DAs decided to arraign you and have to turn over their files and everything else, uh, especially in a sex assault type case, a rape case, that can jeopardize the entire investigation. Uh, you know, if it's something where I had access to that information, I probably wouldn't complain. But granted, my guys are charged with drug offenses. Um, but it's kind of disturbing. You'll be shocked, shocked to know that both Allen and Knowlton, who gave this information to a guy in jail, uh, are both still employed by the Memphis Police Department. Uh, also out of Memphis, we have killer cop Connor Schilling has been arrested for DUI. Uh, So Schilling killed 19-year-old Darius Stewart back in 2015. 
after a minor traffic stop escalated. Uh, he also had a second DUI in 2014, and then back in 2013, pulled a woman over and beat the shit out of her. Uh, so he's now been arrested again, and we'll see if anything happens to come of it. Uh, down in Texas, in Harris County, the State Bar of Texas is pursuing a disciplinary action against former District Attorney Elizabeth Exley. Uh, basically, there was a case where she used testimony from jailhouse snitches to get a conviction. Uh, they promised, um, the snitches were promised they would have reduced sentences and everything else. When the trial happened and they were asked about it, they denied that they were promised anything. And Exley never corrected the fact that they were lying. They just basically let that ride so she could get her conviction. Uh, so the state bar is pursuing an action against her. Uh, out of Houston, a 17-year-old black female, India Landry, has been expelled from Windford High School, Windfern High School, for refusing to stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. Uh, and this is something where I think it was two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago. Y'all might remember we had the podcast that uh, we had titled it The Cuckening, where it was about a student in Michigan that had been assaulted by a teacher for not standing during the pledge, even though not standing during the pledge has been totally legal, settled law for 74 years now, ever since the case of West Virginia Board of Education versus Barnett. Uh, it has been always been protected by the First Amendment, but that protection was recognized by the Supreme Court 74 years ago. Uh, so the end result is going to be a federal lawsuit getting filed and Texas taxpayers ponying up a shitload of money uh, now that Landry has been expelled for refusing to stand for the pledge. Out of Utah in Decane County, so back in our very first podcast, back on Loyalty Day in May, we talked about the case of Madison Jensen who died in a Duquesne County jail uh, because she essentially was going through uh, withdrawal and no one actually bothered to try to care for her, so she died. Well, a surprising twist, nurse Jana Clyde, who was the nurse that chose not to do anything, uh, has actually been charged with negligent homicide in her death. That is astonishing to me. Uh, we'll see what happens, but the fact that someone has been charged is a surprise. So Taylor Anderson is the reporter who's been kind of covering that story. We'll give you the link to his latest, uh, but that's definitely interesting. Uh, in Salt Lake City, a patrol officer approached a 50-year-old homeless man, Patrick Harmon, for the egregious crime of riding a bicycle without a rear red taillight. Uh, body cam shows him talking with Harmon about how to spell Harmon's name. Harmon tells him he may find a warrant uh, for something. Uh, of course, the officer does. Well, Harmon runs. He tries to flee. The police chase after him. Uh, Harmon supposedly has a knife, and the police shot him dead. They claim that Harmon pivoted towards police, and the officer who killed him thought that Harmon was close enough where he theoretically could have attacked another officer. Turns out this wasn't actually borne out by the body cam. Harmon was further away. But think for a minute that this all related to the crime of having a bike without a functioning rear taillight. This is so fucking ridiculous. You could have arrested this particular guy any other day. And instead, you decide to kill him on this particular occasion because his bike didn't have a taillight. This is ridiculous. Uh, also out of Salt Lake City, the Salt Lake Police Association, which is basically their union out there, uh, has decided to weigh in on the case involving Detective Jeff Payne. You might recall from several podcasts, he was the guy who uh, another officer from another state had been hit as part of a high-speed chase and was in a coma. 
taken to the hospital and Payne wanted to get a blood sample because essentially they were trying to cover their ass. They were hoping that this guy was drunk or something so that they wouldn't have to explain the fact they chased a criminal into hitting the guy. Uh, the nurse said he couldn't draw blood without a warrant and he got pissed off and had the nurse arrested. Well, the association could have just kept its fucking mouth shut, but of course they don't do that. Uh, they finally issued a statement over a month later saying they are, quote, extremely concerned and dismayed at how the police have handled the situation. Uh, and, you know, that's, again, third rule of Fisk, there are no new cases, only new names and new jurisdictions. Having the police union weigh in on a bad case and offer a truly mind-numbingly stupid uh, statement about it is par for the course. Uh, also, every now and then we do cover cases that happen in other countries, uh, up to the north in Canada, in Alberta, Chestermere, Chestermere, Alberta. Uh, there was a police investigation regarding a shootout in a parking lot of a convenience store. The police canine found a handgun in the bushes. And as part of the effort to retrieve the gun, the dog fired it. No word yet on whether or not the dog feared for his life. Uh, so, folks, that covers all of our justice news for the past couple weeks. Again, there is no Law 140 this week because I wanted to keep us under an hour. Uh, next week, we will have a Law 140. I'm going to try and do it on students being searched at schools. And as always, if you like what you're hearing, leave us a rating or a review. If you hear some justice news that you want us to have on the podcast, feel free to tweet it to us. We are at Fiskamall on Twitter. That's at F-S-C-K-E-M-A-L-L. Use the hashtag Fisk. That is hashtag F-S-C-K. Uh, on behalf of myself, uh, Mike, who is not in the apartment but is going to be fixing this audio file, and Samson, who's been periodically coughing in the background, that hopefully that will get edited out. Uh, thank you so much for listening. I hope all of you have a blessed week, and I'll talk to you next Monday. Mm -hmm.